The Old Testament reading for today will be from Jeremiah 32, verses 36 through 41. And the New Testament reading, which will be our sermon text for today, will come from Jude 17 through 25. Let us now give our undivided attention to the reading of God's most holy word. Jeremiah 32, 36 through 41 says this, Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, It is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I have drove them in my anger, in my wrath, and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place, and I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make them, I will make with them an everlasting covenant, that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts, that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. Turning now to Jude, verses 17 through 25, the Lord's word says this, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you again for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would use your word to penetrate our, uh, our hearts, Father. We need your word in our life, Father. We need you in our life. It is only in you, it is only through you, Father, that anything is even possible, Lord. And so as we come to you on your Lord's Day, I pray that you would bless this preaching, Lord, that your words would go forward and transform hearts, Father, transform minds, encourage those, Lord, who need encouragement, correct those, Lord, who are going astray, direct, Lord, those who need direction. We thank you again for Jude and for his words. Be with us now as we continue in looking at and concluding his book. It's the name of Christ that we're able to pray these things. And all God's people say, Amen. Today's church will be concluding, finally concluding, a three-part series on the book of Jude. And over the past several months, I have preached through the book of Jude, covering verses 1 through 7 in part 1, verses 8 through 16 in part 2, and concluding today with part 3 as we cover verses 17 through 25. Before we begin to look at Jude, verses 17 through 25, it would again be best to first do a brief recap of Jude's epistle 
up until this point, verses 1 through 16. You'll remember that Jude's letter is broken up into three main parts, and they contain a series of proof texts that reference the Old Testament writings, Jewish literature, and apostolic prophecy, all for the purpose of displaying the destruction of the heretics that Jude addresses throughout his book. Thus, the primary theme of Jude is the stern warning, the very stern warning, against the false teachers, quote-unquote, that had infiltrated into the church, and the church's need to be aware the need to be aware of these individuals. In briefly recapping these first 16 verses, you'll remember that in verses 1 through 2, Jude gives a brief introduction, authenticates his identity, and identifies his audience, which were those who were called by God and kept in Christ. In verses 3 through 4, we saw that Jude's original intent was to write about, quote, our common salvation, but instead felt compelled to discuss the need for the church to be aware and vigilant of these quote-unquote false teachers that had secretly crept into the church. In verses 5 through 7, we saw that Jude cites three examples from Old Testament history, all displaying God's judgment on those who intentionally and blatantly distort the Word of God, and thus live contrary to it. Jude's three examples were, one, the exodus generation and their judgment, two, the fallen angels from heaven and their judgment, and three, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and their judgment. Moving on into verses 8 through 11, we're told that these men that had quote-unquote crept in blatantly reject divine authority and God-ordained authority. As verses 12 through 13 elaborate on how these men live as clear, clear hypocrites to the faith. Then in verses 14 through 16, Jude assures and reminds his readers that these men will receive their due penalty for their sins and for their actions. God will most certainly judge them. This brings us now to verse 17, where Jude again, again reminds his readers to remember that not only had these men been predicted through the prophets of the Old Testament, they were also clearly taught and taught about through the teachings of the apostles of Christ. And so... Verse 17 begins with a word that we now know is very central to Jude's message. Remember. As Jude again instructs his readers to remember that the apostles of Christ had also clearly warned the church of the presence of these men. Jude makes quite the case from the Old Testament and also now moving in to the New Testament, the apostolic teachings, that these men will in fact be present. Thus, Jude's point is not to prepare his readers, not then and not now, for the future arrival of these men. Rather, as Jude states this, he is demonstrating that the central reason for his message is to inform his readers that what was predicted by the prophets and the disciples had now come to pass. It is present that these false teachers were amongst them. As the apostles and other New Testament authors had taught, these men are amongst us in the church age. The church age meaning the time between Christ's first and second coming and the time that we currently live. In Mark 13, 22 through 23, Jesus had explicitly warned of the presence of these men, stating, quote, false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand, says Christ. 
The Apostle Paul, too, provides further warning when he spoke to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 29 through 31, saying, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. We should also be reminded, church, of the fact that even among Christ's twelve disciples, a wolf existed within them, as Judas would betray Jesus. Yet this was no surprise to Christ, nor did it thwart his plans in any way. In fact, it was through Judas's actions that God's perfect will was brought about. Furthermore, in verse 19, Jude states that it is, quote, these men who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. And so it is vital, in the words of Jude, that the audience realize that, quote, these men, unquote, are the ones whom the prophets, the apostles, and even Christ had spoken of. Thus, the warning in Scripture is very, very clear as we come to conclude, Jude. These men have infiltrated and will infiltrate the church. But Jude's purpose in informing the church of the presence of these men is not so that the people of God would be surprised and overly anxious with this knowledge, knowing that their presence existed. Rather, Jude instructs that the people of God, quote, Remember, unquote, that, quote, these men, unquote, exist. And that these men will come about in the church. And therefore, we must be prepared when they present themselves. Given Jude's statement that these men are worldly and devoid of the spirit, brothers and sisters, we must be very clear on Jude's point here pertaining to these men. For there are only two types of people that exist in this world. Those who are real Christians and those who are not. For this is Jude's primary purpose in going to such great lengths in describing these men to us so that they could be identified and properly addressed when they make their way into the church so that there could be no doubt when they are seen. And the fact that these men lived according to know higher values other than their own was very clear evidence of their depraved and unregenerate state. Therefore, brothers and sisters, these men have no part in the true church. They are not Christians. That is the point. They do not have the spirit. Indeed, they are godless, as stated in verse 4. However, however, as was made actually quite clear in the Sunday school hour, as we've been looking at the five points of Reformed theology and today looked at the preservation of the saints, we cannot know the depths of the heart of these men. For though their actions clearly display that of an unsaved soul, we do not know if the Lord would call a man unto himself. Therefore, we must only act according to the behaviors and actions of such individuals. For it is the Lord who both judges and transforms the heart of man. This is why things like church discipline are so necessary 
so that the Lord can deal with hearts. I think sometimes we think that we have so much more control and understanding than we actually do. The Lord is the one who knows the hearts of men. Unsaved and unregenerate people most certainly will act in very sinful ways. and We must treat them accordingly. And if they are saved, church, rest assured, the Lord will bring them back into the fold. There's a part that we need to play with that, but we'll talk about that in a few moments. Transitioning into verse 20, Jude takes a sharp turn in the direction of his letter. Here, he returns to the tone of encouragement that he had began at the beginning of his letter in verses 1 through 2. And so after commanding the church to remember that these men exist, that they will creep into the church, and that they act as they do because they are unregenerate, Jude then, at this point, merges into verses 20 through 23 with a list of several commands for the people of God on how we are to respond in light of the presence of these men. In verse 20, Jude states, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Here, Jude emphasizes the immense importance for the believer to have a strong and solid foundation in Christ. For it is absolutely essential, church, that true believers not be carried away into error when false teachers attempt to distort both the true teachings of Scripture and the God-ordained structure of the church. Is one of the best safeguards that one can have is to be well-versed in the true teachings of Scripture and of Christ. Hence, the emphasis that Jude places on our needing to be built up in, quote, your most holy faith. And this phrase, your most holy faith, in verse 20, refers to the learning and applying of the whole counsel of God found within the entirety of the scriptures. Everything that the Lord has given us for godliness is contained within this one book that every one of us has access to. Brothers and sisters, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is that you are diligent in studying, learning, and applying the scriptures to your lives. For yes, it is Lord who saves. Salvation is to the Lord and to the Lord alone. But here, Jude has a command for us, saying, your most holy faith. He is giving you a command that requires action that you would do something about it. uh, That you would do something about it. In fact... Personally, I have become overwhelmingly convinced, overwhelmingly convinced that the only way that a true believer in Christ can successfully walk daily in this life in the faith and knowledge of Christ is through a complete and utter devotion to the daily practice of the spiritual disciplines, specifically to that of scripture reading and prayer. Yet as if this was some sort of hidden message though, right? Because scripture time and time again speaks of the importance of communing with God through the continual study of his word. Church, listen carefully to these other portions of scripture that speak to this point. Take, for example, Joshua 1, verses 7 through 8. While succeeding Moses, the Lord directly addresses Joshua, stating this. Be strong and courageous being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. 
Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Let me read just that part one more. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Another example is when David, in the beginning of the book of Psalms, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, states something similar. When he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Listen to this part. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Both of these are references to God's written word that was put down and carried through at all generations. Moving to the New Testament, Paul also states, in reference to the importance of reading and studying Scripture in Romans 15.4, saying, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Again, Paul instructs Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13 on how to properly lead the church, telling Timothy to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Also, as Christ himself commands, commanding his followers just prior to his crucifixion in John 14.15, says this, If you love me, he says to us, and specifically to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How, church, in reference to this verse, how in the world can we know or keep Christ's commandments if we do not thoroughly study to know them and work hard to apply daily them to our lives? The teaching is very clear in Scripture, brothers and sisters. We are the bride of Christ, and we must study the Word of God. We must crave it. The reading of God's Word must be a central, a central part of our walk with Christ throughout this world. Brothers and sisters, I do not know what is on your New Year's resolution list as we are here on the first Sunday of the year. But I can assure you, That if knowing Christ and his word more deeply this year is not at the top of your list, I would highly suggest that you revise your goals for 2020. For church, my prayer is that we all would make growing more in the grace and knowledge of Christ our primary focus for not just this year, but also every year thereafter that the Lord graciously blesses each and every one of us with. And so may we heed Jude's command in building up our most holy faith as we go throughout our lives from this point forward. However, in stating how important it is that we are diligent in our study of God's word, I also want to make a point about properly applying and understanding Jude's teaching in verse 20. For though Jude is clearly teaching that we must be dedicated and diligent in building up our most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, 
He is not saying that our survival as Christians is dependent upon our ability in keeping our faith, verse 21, or our ability to love God properly, verse 22, or our ability to have mercy, verse 22. No, our survival as God's people, brothers and sisters, is dependent upon God's grace and God's grace alone. As stated a few months back in part one of this sermon series, Jude began his letter by referring to his audience as those who were called by God, those who were loved by God, and by those who were <clears throat> kept by Christ Jesus himself. <clears throat> our faith, our faith, church, is fully credited to the gracious act of our merciful God. But it is because of this, it is because of this, that we should be so fervent in holding fast to that faith. As Luther once put it, faith is the foundation on which one should build, but to build up means to increase from day to day in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. It is therefore because of this that again we should respond with such a passion to know God more and more and to build up our faith more and more daily as we walk with Christ. And in light of what was discussed earlier in the Sunday School Hour, if you were here for it, This is a good reminder that true believers in Christ were chosen by God and will persevere to the end. But they will do so because of God's power and because of God's wisdom. Furthermore, in verse 20, Jude instructs us also to pray in the Holy Spirit. For our need for earnest and continual prayer is absolutely vital if we are to stand properly against those who would attempt to distort and to lead astray within the church. As our prayer life, brothers and sisters, is a direct reflection upon our dependence on God for help and strength. As Paul states in Ephesians 6.18, that we should commit ourselves to, quote, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And as we are faithful to pray as commanded several points in New Testament, The Holy Spirit, who is with God's people, then takes these prayers directly into the presence of our our Heavenly Father and of Christ Himself, who intercedes for us even now in this very moment. Church, in as, as simple terms as I can put it, if you want your faith to flourish, if you want to be prepared when false teachers come, if you want to be obedient to the commands of Christ, then this is what I advise that you do. Know the Word of God. Pray continually in the Spirit and walk daily with Christ. Know the Word of God. Pray continually in the Spirit and walk daily with Christ. For in doing so, the Lord will build up and sustain and fulfill all that He has promised. As we move on to verse 21, Jude gives another command, saying to his audience to keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And this command would have reminded his readers of the covenant that their Lord and Master had already made with his people, as it was Christ who first called them and who first loved them. Refer to verse 1 of Jude. For God's electing, ever-faithful covenant of love with his people does not ever leave us. Indeed, Christ is with us. 
And Jude reminds us of this in commanding us to respond to this truth. As Christ first loved us, we therefore should respond to God in loving him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. I hope, church, that this is your goal for this year, that this is on the very top of your New Year's resolution, that you would be obedient and loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus spoke clearly of this relationship, clearly of this relationship between the love of God for his people and their love for him. In John 15, 9 through 10, when he stated, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Referring to his disciples, referring to us. And this is what he says to us. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. We must be obedient to scripture, brothers and sisters. In loving Christ and staying close to Christ. In responding to his love. For he is the one who first loved us, and we respond to that. Jude then merges into an additional command at the end of verse 21, where he states here, As you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads you to eternal life. It is vital, church, for all Christians to remember that they are living in an age that will one day come to an end. These last times, as mentioned here in verse 18, will eventually lead to that inevitable last day when this age will come to an end and Christ will bring about the full consummation of all things. And the life of Christians during these quote-unquote last days, meaning the days from first, Christ's first coming to his second coming, the days that we now live in, will not be easy as Jude has shown. But we are to persevere with the help of the Holy Spirit For a great and glorious eternity awaits us when we shall see God's mercy and salvation in all of its fullness. For at the moment we experience it only through faith, as an earnest deposit through the Spirit. But one day we shall know Him, even as we are known, and we shall see our Savior face to face. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Moving on, Jude then in verses 22 through 23 goes to explain that there are three categories of people who will each need to be dealt with in a slightly different way in response to the effects of the presence of these false teachers within the church. Three categories of individuals are, one, those who under the influence of the false teachers have doubts. Category number two, those who, being weak spiritually, are in danger of being harmed by the sin brought about by these false teachers. In category number three, those who, being deeply affected by these false teachers, are so affected that they could be genuinely dangerous to the faithful within the church. And so in verse 22, Jude addresses the first of these three categories as he speaks of those who have doubts. Jude commands his readers to, quote, be merciful to those who doubt. At one point or another in our lives, Brothers and sisters, we will all have doubts about our faith. It almost goes far to say that certainly we all have, and will again in the future, have doubts about our faith. However, what Jude portrays here is an extreme and dangerous form of doubt 
brought about as an effect from the actions of false teachers within the church. Hence, a reminder, yet another reminder, of why these men are so dangerous when left within the church. And as we have seen, these, quote, godless men who are devoid of the Spirit have led people away from God into a volatile state of faith and understanding. Note, church, that these men not only come in and try to openly distort the true teachings of God, they are often at opposition with the leaders within the church. For God has ordained overseers to detect and to deal with such individuals, which is likely why false teachers are often so hostile toward those appointed within the church. And as these men attempt to deceive and distort, there most certainly will be some casualties involved, as some will become confused and misled by their teachings. We therefore must make all the effort, and we must remember clearly as Jude reminds us in verse 22, to have mercy and compassion toward the deceived and misled individual. How easy it is to jump to judgments, right, brothers and sisters? How easy it is to become angry and irritated and impatient. But what we're told here by Jude is we are to have mercy and we are to be patient. We are to be patient and merciful with such individuals in the attempts to bring them safely back into the fold of God. The second group that Jude addresses is found in verse 23, where he directs his audience to, quote, snatch others from the fire and to save them. This group refers to those who are in real and imminent danger, impacted by the actions of the godless men amongst them. This category is one step further than the previous one, for the state of these individuals has moved from a state of mere deception to some form of tangible, sinful impact. And the state that these individuals are in is one of such imminent danger that Jude uses the term snatch in describing how we are to address them. In Amos 4.11, Amos 4.11, we have a picture of God snatching Israel from the fire. As the Lord states, you were like a burning stick that was snatched from the fire. Also, in Zechariah 3.2, Zechariah 3.2. This also provides another interesting insight into this phrase uh, used in uh, Jude 23, where the high priest Joshua is standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan ready to accuse him. <clears throat> but the Lord intervenes by defending Joshua, saying, Is not this man a burning stick that was snatched from the fire? Thus the use, the use of the word snatch is very fitting as it depicts one who hastily and purposely grabs an object from the fire before it becomes destroyed. Think about that visually, church. Maybe you even have individuals in your own mind who've got carried away by false doctrines, and you think about it, their need to be snatched away from that, to go and to rescue them from it. Why? Because that fire will burn and destroy and cause great destruction. So this word <clears throat> depicts one <clears throat> who hastily and purposely grabs an object from the fire before it becomes destroyed. And to be clear on this point, yet again, salvation belongs to the Lord alone. For none of us can be the snatcher. We all understand that, right? We know, however, that God has ordained His people 
to be his hand in protecting and intervening when fellow brethren become entangled in the sins of false teachers. And we are to be active by bringing our wandering brother or sister back to Christ, back to his word, and back to the faith once and all entrusted to the saints, Jude 3. So in this sense, brothers and sisters, we, you, us, are in fact our brother's keeper. Just as a father might snatch his child out of the path of a bus, so it is our duty to watch over each other and to pull back those who through weakness of faith and understanding find themselves drawn towards the fire because, because of these false teachers. So we need to be concerned for each other, constantly exhorting and helping one another to contend for the faith and remain steadfast in the love of God. This now brings us to the third and final group that Jude describes, as they are those who have moved so far under the influence of these godless men that they actually become dangerous to the entire church. You could go as far to say as they are teetering on the edge of non-salvation, of unsalvation, if that were such a thing. And this is the point where it may become confusing if this brother or sister is even saved at all. However, this is Jude's advice. This is Jude's command that to others we are to still show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Jude again instructs the believer to be merciful to those who have strayed due to the influence of these false teachers, just as Christ is merciful to us. However, when dealing with those who have become involved in the teachings of these men, there is a real danger that the true believer might also be tempted to stray in his or her faith. For brothers and sisters, the attraction of sin must never be underestimated. Too often people feel that somehow they are immune to certain temptations of the flesh, but such feelings often result in downfall as they succumb to the sins themselves. So Jude gives sensible advice to the true believer within the church. And Jude emphasizes this with his next comment, that when responding, we, when responding to this group, we are to hate even the garment, even their garment that has been stained by the flesh. The picture that Jude paints here with this phrase is a very strong one. The idea is that Jude's readers would steer clear of someone, uh, someone else's dirty, filthy, and stained undergarments. For the type of sin that Jude is portraying is a type that will spoil and infect all that it comes into contact with. Indeed, these men and their godless ways must be removed from the flock with urgency and precision before their ungodly ways spread throughout the entire congregation. That is the picture that Jude gives of the type of sin that comes about because of these men. <clears throat> however, it's always a however. In concluding in verse 23, Jude pleads for a sensible balance in judging and confronting sinful people within their flock. For we are always to display love and mercy. Always to display love and mercy. Even when a brother or sister in Christ is caught up in sin. For a Christian does not need to commit adultery to be able to minister to an adulterer with mercy and with love. The church does not need to lie in order to lovingly confront a person caught in deception. And the church needn't become drunk in order to minister to an alcoholic. As Paul states in Galatians 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But... 
Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Paul mirrors very similar words to Jude in Galatians 1, reminding us that it is, in fact, our job to be our brother's keeper, but we must do so tactfully and carefully, lest we too become tempted. Lastly, in verses 24 through 25, Jude begins his doxology and conclusion to the epistle. Jude has finished his exhortation to the faithful. He has finished warning against the ungodly and deceitful people who have slipped into the church. And now he focuses the reader's thinking, as he did earlier in verses 1 through 2, on the God of all grace. In, verses, in verse 24, Jude states this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Here Jude has in mind the final day when Christians will stand before their maker. On that judgment day, it will be only justified sinners who will stand, for they are the ones who have been declared not guilty. And though the saving grace is appropriated through faith, it comes entirely from God's grace alone. And so it is fully appropriate, as Jude ends his letter, that he should direct his audience to the God who alone is able to keep them from falling and to make them stand in his glorious presence. It's Christ alone who can do this. For our God and our Savior, who began a good work in us, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1.6. Verse 25 then goes to include Jude's epistle with a praise to the wonderful Savior, stating, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. It is not surprising, brothers and sisters, that these last two verses of Jude have become one of the most popular benedictions to be used within the church. For these words do for us what they would have also done for Jude and his audience. They summarize the continuing sovereign work of God through Jesus on our behalf and ascribe to him and to him alone all the glory. For nothing is beyond the majestic and sovereign control of God. It is he who keeps his people from falling. It is he who knows that these false teachers are among us. It is he who has provided a way for his people to deal with these men as they make their way into the church. And it is he whom all of God's chosen throughout all of time will worship for all eternity. As I begin now to work toward a conclusion, brothers and sisters, I would first like to make four brief and clarifying points of application. Um, I would like to make four brief and clarifying points of application. And they'll, and they'll be rather brief. Point of application number one, <clears throat> based on verses 17 through 19. We must remember. We must remember. Number one, we must remember. This has been a central theme, a central word throughout the book of Jude. He tells us to remember. And so, brothers and sisters, as stated in my previous sermon, we must not be ignorant to the presence of these men. We must remember that they will come, as Jude describes. For this was predicted by the apostles several times throughout the New Testament. Christ himself even taught about such men, explaining that these men have always been at work trying to corrupt God's elect. So we must remember this teaching. 
We must remind ourselves so that we are not surprised when such men come. And we must remind ourselves so that we might rest in the sovereignty and the power of our almighty Savior. For this is Jude's whole point. Remember, because Christ already knew. It's nothing new. It's nothing to be afraid of. Be aware and be prepared. So study the scriptures diligently and cling closely to Christ. For this is a solution to what Jude asks us to do in remembering. This brings me to my second point of application. Point number two, we must be prepared. We must be prepared. Number one, we must remember that these men will come, but when they do, number two, we must be prepared for it. We must work hard, as Jude states, at building up our most holy faith. As previously stated, if this is not at the top of your New Year's resolution, I strongly advise that you change your list. For what could be more important than growing more intimately in your faith and knowledge of Christ? And we must also be a praying people, knowing that there are those who are attacking from above the spiritual realms, from outside the world, and even within our very midst, inside the church, as Jude has informed us. And so we must keep ourselves in the love of God, brothers and sisters, reminding ourselves continuously that this is not our permanent home. For we will all experience difficulties in our lives, whether it is a false teacher infiltrating our congregation or a personal trial or struggle or tragedy, but the remedy is the same for all. Be prepared through obedience in Christ. I think the words of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 5 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2-5 through 5 are most fitting on this point as Paul instructs Timothy saying, quote, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Repro- reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, as for you, church, as for you, true believers, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. The fact that these men will come, church, is no mystery. Remember that they will, but be prepared when they do. And the best way that we can do that is by constantly working daily on keeping our souls close to our Lord and Savior. This brings me to my third point of application, that we must be active in the sanctification and salvation of others. Point number three, we must be active in the sanctification and salvation of others. Churches, Jude has made clear these men are not regenerate, and their ways within the church create a volatile and confusing message to those who are involved in their presence. And we must be merciful and patient and gracious and charitable with those who become confused by the teaching and actions of these men. Whether it is from a false teacher within the church, a false teacher outside of the church, or a well-meaning brother or sister who simply has strayed from a proper understanding and application of the scriptures, we must always respond with mercy and with patience, especially with those who are weak, confused, or struggling, Romans 14, 1 in Romans 15.1. Yes, church, you are your brother's keeper, and you are your sister's keeper. 
And if one of us is found in sin, we all have an obligation to restore our brother or sister to Christ. As the words of James say in James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, James 5, 19 through 20, My brothers, if any among you wander from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This brings me now to my fourth and final point of application. Point number four, it is only through Christ that this is possible. Verses 24 through 25. It is only through Christ that this is possible. Brothers and sisters, only in Christ does this world even exist. Only in Christ is our salvation possible, and only in Christ are we able to respond and endure the onslaught of these ungodly men that have infiltrated into the church. But it is he who is able to keep us from stumbling in their midst. And it is he that presents us blameless before God in light of their presence. Therefore, we must all take heart. We must be encouraged by the words of Jude and be strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit and be reminded of the power of Christ. So in closing, I would like to read one final passage of Scripture, one final passage, that will echo and mirror the teachings of Jude. And so I would like to ask you one final time to listen carefully as I read from the words of John 15, 12 through 25, and then conclude with John 16, 33. John 15, 12 through 25, and 16, 33. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is my commandment, it's Christ saying this, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one more than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, says Christ, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit and your fruit you should abide, so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I commanded you, so that you will love one another. Christ goes on to say this in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they would also keep yours. But all these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now that I have come, no excuse is for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. For they hated me without 
a cause. And ending in 16, verse 33, Christ says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, our Lord and Savior says, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Father God, we find great comfort in the words of Jude. We find great comfort in all of your scriptures, Father. I pray that we would hear these words, that we would apply these words, that we would be impacted by these words, that we would leave here today, Lord. Being convicted, Father, I do pray that there is godly conviction that we all would strive more and more to serving after you. Those of us who are walking faithfully, Lord, may we continue to do so. Those who are struggling, Lord, may they be uplifted. Those who possibly do not know you, Father, I pray that your word is not null and void. I pray that it goes and it penetrates the heart and they see the power of Christ. I pray that we go and we keep eyes open for our brothers and sisters who would be struggling. I pray that we are aware when these teachers come among us. I pray that we respond with boldness through the power of your name and the power of the Holy Spirit. Be with us now, Father, as we continue in the worshiping of your most holy name. It's in and through Christ that we pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen.